You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code Locked On, and you get $10 off your first order. So on today's episode today, I want to go back to looking at some historical drafts. I promised you to get back to it with the draft quickly approaching, or what, three weeks out pretty much from it at this point in time, uh, the 10th, so uh, even less than that, uh, the 10th would be the first day of it. I'm recording this, uh, you know, on a Sunday, you'll listen to it on Monday, so the 25th, yeah, we're looking at just shy of three weeks out. Uh, it's going to be exciting, it's going to be fun, it's going to be nice to have something baseball to talk about, right? So in honor of the draft coming up, I thought I'd dive back in time. Uh, we'd already looked at the first two drafts in Indians history in 65 and 66. Actually, the first three, because it started in 64, I believe. So we talked about that, and I remember having talked about 66 in particular, because if you recall, that 66 draft, the Indians had the 12th overall pick. And what did they do with the 12th overall pick? Well, they took a high schooler out of New York, John Curtis, who didn't sign. So they lost the 12th overall pick, and you know it was a different day and age back then. So... Drafting John Curtis and not signing him meant they just didn't get the pick. It was gone. There was no compensation pick. There was no there was no anything. The team just did not get that pick. And for a long time, that was the case. Uh, two specific situations come to mind. I'm trying to remember if it was Michael Tucker who went to the Braves or if it was to the Giants. Maybe it was Kansas City. Now, see, the part of the reason for my confusion is Jermaine Dye started with Kansas City and was traded to the Royals. Or, Die started with Atlanta and was traded to the Royals, and Tucker started with the Royals. They were traded for each other, so then Tucker would have left the Braves as a really minor free agent. So I think it was the Giants um, tracking this in my mind. Tucker was a good player, not anything spectacular um, or to write home about in my mind, though he had the better rookie year. I remember he had a really strong rookie year, and it made that die deal look really bad for Kansas City, who ended up winning that trade in the long run. But uh, the Giants... I believe with the team who signed him, signed him because they didn't want to have a first-round pick. They didn't want to pay a first-round pick. They didn't want to divert that money. They didn't see the value in it. And while they were happy to add Michael Tucker, he was signed pretty late in the process, and a big part of his value to that team was the ability to lose their first-round pick. The other example that comes to mind is the Cincinnati Reds drafted Jeremy Sowers out of high school when they had a late first-rounder because they didn't want to pay a first-round pick, and they knew Sowers was impossible to sign. So they intentionally drafted a player who uh, they had no interest in signing, knew couldn't sign, and uh, knew was just going to not be part of the organization, which is probably why, um, you know, when I did the historical, you know, the worst drafting teams the last 20 years piece a few years ago, the Reds were the worst drafting team during that period. Indians, second worst. Yankees, third worst. Uh, When that is your approach, it makes sense why the Reds would be so bad at the draft. But enough about that. So John Curtis, the Indians don't get. But when we jump into the 67 draft, this one just kind of blew my mind the minute I opened it. Because we have 20 picks in the first round in 67. The first 19 picks are all high school kids. I can't recall ever seeing anything like that on any way, shape, or form. 20th and last pick in the first round, Donnie Denbo, a third baseman out of SMU, goes to the Dodgers, never makes it to the majors. Uh, The first overall pick, Ron Bloomberg, he goes to the uh, New York Yankees, who have the first overall pick that year. He's from Druid Hills High School in Atlanta, Georgia. I was curious to see who else has come out of there, and the answer would be nobody. Uh, So not a big—I was like, that's not a name I know covering the draft. And Atlanta is, you know, the 
whole area of Atlanta is just loaded with baseball talent. So I expect to recognize a name, but I did not. Best pick in the first round and best pick, well, best pick in the top 10. Let's start. Ted Simmons, catcher um, for the St. Louis Cardinals. He was from Southfield High School in Southfield, Michigan. Now, what's interesting about this is the third best pick in uh, the top 10 is John Mayberry, first baseman out of Northwestern High School in Detroit, Michigan. So you had two Michigan high school kids going in the top 10, and there were actually two of the three um, really good players in this draft class. Uh, the number two guy in the top 10 in terms of value, John Matlock, left-handed pitcher, went to the Mets, and he was from Henderson High School in Westchester, Pennsylvania. So three cold weather prep guys. Uh, Bloomberg had an all right career, 9.4 career war for him. So uh, certainly teams that have done a lot worse, but the best player in the first round actually went with the 19th pick, and that was uh, Bobby Garrich, a second baseman, shortstop, first baseman for the Orioles, uh, 71.1. That's a huge amount of value. When I saw that, I was like, okay, I'll admit, I don't really remember that name. And yes, part of it is because his final year was in 86 when I was five, and but he there was some overlap in my lifetime. And that's an astounding amount of value. You look at him starting at age 23 and 72, and he's almost worth five a year every year uh, that he is fully healthy through into his mid-30s. A really good player. Uh, when you look at his valuation, he's one of those guys, he just doesn't, the black ink test, he doesn't have the gray ink test, the Hall of Fame stuff he doesn't match up with. Uh, and it's just kind of interesting to look at the overall stuff because it's, most similar player is uh, Toby Her- Her- Herrera, then Brandon Phillips, then Jay Bell, Brett Boone, Johnny Peralta, Chase Utley, Sal Bando, Ian Kinsler, Travis Fryman. These are all really, really good players. Uh, maybe not great, but all really good players. And that's who he matched up with. And then it just also helps when you have a 17-year career, you know, debuted at age 21. He is your, your top player in that first round. Uh Bloomberg was an interesting guy because going back since he was our first overall pick, debuted at age 20, didn't play much. In 71, 72, and 73, he got to play every day. 70, in, in, the thing about that is when you're talking about those 71, 72, 73, 74, 75, 74 and 75, he's not playing a ton, but his OPS plus was the worst of those was 130. He was a, a strong hitter. Uh, the two peak years at age 24 and 25, 329 and 311. I'd have to dig a bit deeper. I mean, he's a first baseman who's not hitting for much power, but I'd be curious to see exactly why this guy never got more than 107 games in a season. The valuation appears to be there. He hit for average. Yeah, the power wasn't huge, but he walked more than he struck out. And there's some things that make you wonder, like, was he the unfortunate case of a guy who uh, just played in the wrong era? Diving into him a little more deeply, it is interesting. One, the thing that comes up most often is him being Jewish and uh, the big tie that was in New York City. Uh, you know, just an interesting kind of side note with him is he's seventh all-time in batting average amongst Jewish players. Uh, that was listed on his wiki. Uh, long story short, why did his career kind of putter out, even though good numbers? Four knee surgeries and two shoulder surgeries. That That's going to lead to an issue. And uh, I'm sure there's people out there yelling at me. He was the first ever designated hitter. So that spot in history is always going to be reserved for Bloomberg. I'll be back in a second after this quick word from our sponsors, and we'll get into the Indians and their draft that year. 
you know I like Built Bar. I made an order here on the show. You know it is uh, one of my favorites. They got some deals coming up, just to loop you in. They're rolling out a Memorial Day offer. On Monday only, you can get their assorted Built Boost Energy Drink Mix. Uh, I believe that's going to be a free add-on if you do an order on Monday. And for their week offer of the 25th through 30th, that's $5 off every box of, bo- of bars ordered, which you can use with the c- promo locked on to get... Uh, that $10 off. So that means you're already getting $5 off every box. Use the lockdown code, get additional amount off. This is a really great time to try them out if you haven't. And they're rolling out four new flavors. Uh, blueberry, lemon. I'm not a big blueberry person. If you are, that could work for you. Coconut, pecan pie, pineapple upside down cake, and peanut butter banana all intrigue me. I'm probably going to put in another order this week as it is just part of my routine at this point. Wake up, have one or two, and then probably have another one at midday when I'm getting packish. Again, I am doing the ad not just because it's a paid-for ad here, but because I enjoy. Give it a try. BuiltBar.com. Use that promo code locked on. I've talked a lot about uh, how much I liked Willie Mays as a kid, how much I was intrigued by him, and we've talked about more than a few times on the show his audiobook, 24 Life Stories and Lessons from the Say Hey Kid, which is a reflective and inspirational memoir on the legendary Willie, Willie Mays. And it talks about his inspirations and influences responsible for guiding him on and off the field. They have the new audiobook, which is a foreword read by Bob Costas, and a bonus conversation between Willie Mays and co-author John Shea. I love stats. Let's go into his most similar by ages. How about age 21, Juan Gonzalez, 23 to 28, Vladimir Guerrero, 29 to 31, Duke Snyder, 32, Vlad, 33, Frank Robinson, 34, Mickey Mantle, 35 to 40, Frank Robinson, 41 to 42, Hank Aaron. His worst comp in terms of most similar by age, Juan Gonzalez. His most similar batters, Frank Robinson, Albert Pujols, Alex Rodriguez, Ken Griffey Jr., Hank Aaron, Mel Lott, Barry Bonds, Stan Musial, Rafael Palmero, Dave Winfield. Just going through those alone. I mean, this was a truly special talent, a truly special human. If you are like me and you love baseball, then make sure that you go and check out the audiobook, 24 Life Stories and Lessons from the Say Hey Kid. So to use Willie Mays, which just got some talking about him, 65 was his single greatest season in the majors, triple crown, 52 home runs. 66, he was still a very strong performer. And we talk about the 66 class because the you know he finished third in the MVP of that year. The 66 class, uh, year is, of course, what uh, sets up our draft order for the 67 draft where the Indians are picking 11th overall. And with that 11th pick, they took Jack... Heideman, a shortstop out of Brennan, Brennan High School in Texas. Heideman, uh, I don't know if I've seen a guy who has over a thousand at bats who had less, uh, a worse war. Negative 6.2. It's, it's an odd career. Um, you know, he appeared in 426 games. The Indians drafted him. He would debut in 69 at age 19. Uh, would become a basically a full-time player in 1970 133 games 495 plate appearances a 211 average at 265 on base a 292 slugging a 557 OPS his best OPS plus was a 66 like I mean he was probably one of the worst hitters in baseball history like that is not uh, an understatement or an undersell. Like he could not hit at any level, and it's kind of crazy that he kept getting opportunities because with the bat in his hand, there was just nothing there. But he kept popping up here and there, and uh, it's just he's a, an odd out player to look at when you look at the whole scope of his career. 
And if you think about him ever, it's probably about the fact that, you know, he, Vada Pinson, and uh, John Lowenstein collide in the outfield and allowed Tommy McGraw to get an inside-the-park home run. Uh, His Wikipedia sounds like it was written by a family member. There's a lot of data there for a guy who just did not do much. Uh, Again, it's kind of amazing as you go through the data that he lasted as long as he did. In the second round, the Indians took Mark Ballinger, not Bellinger, Ballinger, out of uh, Thunder Oaks High School, Thunder Oaks, Thousand Oaks High School in Thousand Oaks, California. Uh, Right-handed pitcher, he would appear in 18 games in the majors. Not a whole lot to to talk about there. Uh, The first college player they drafted was out of Eastern Illinois, Matt Crossan in the fourth round. Uh, nothing to report. Next guy to make the ni- majors, I should say, is Ed Farmer, who would appear in 164 game. I'm sorry, 370 games in the majors. Uh, a nice long career for Farmer. He uh, was a starter, a reliever. He bounced around pitching for many different organizations. Uh, if I do the quick math, eight different organizations over his career uh never particularly grand you know he's had a negative career war in spite of all those games played uh his best season was at age 30 when he made an all-star game with the white Sox. uh but most of his years he had uh negative values or right around a you know a value less than one but uh hey at least he made it right i mean he put it together well enough to get an all-star season uh Next guy who uh, was able to make it to the majors was uh, catcher Vic Corral, Corral maybe. Uh, he was the ninth round pick out of Georgia Southern. He would be another one who just lasted forever in the majors, never with the Indians, but nearly 1,300 at bats over 400 games uh, because he could work as a backup. Not uh, not particularly good as a hitter, but. Pretty inoffensive as a backup catcher, just kind of interesting from the perspective. He didn't debut till age 28, but then was able to find consistent work from 28 to 30. Next player who makes the majors, the Indians took in the 20th round of the University of Arizona, and that's left-handed pitcher Mike Paul. He, so far, is the most productive player in this class. Paul would debut in 68 for the Indians, so he would make it to the majors uh, in less than a year. And he would appear in 36 games for them that year, and he would be a consistent member of the Indians from 68 all the way through 71. And he was, uh, you know, sometimes a starter, sometimes a reliever. Numbers are up and down, but uh, managed to end up with a career war just south of four as a 20th round pick. That's a massive success. But the best player, bar none in this class, was a guy the Indians took in the 34th 34th round, a prep player out of Huntington Beach, California, Jack Brohammer, and he had a career war of 5.6. He would go on to appear in 800 games, uh, nearly 2,800 plate appearances, played for the Indians from 72 through 75 before going to the White Sox. It's I feel like every single one of these guys the Indians drafted eventually found their way to the White Sox, and he would end up coming back in 1980 to finish his career with the Indians at age 30. So he debuted at age 22, and age 30 was the end. Now, he's another guy who really could not hit at all, but his value came from his defensive ability, and he was able to carve out a career. Um, you know, when you look at the Indians around this time, we already talk about uh, Heidemann, who got his opportunity. Frank Duffy would get an opportunity to shorten there. And 
Broheimer was he was more of a third baseman. I don't know why I was thinking short, but either way, he was a you know a good defender and a well below average bat who was able to stick around. Uh, I you know it's kind of surprising too because was it a two seventy one a two ninety one a three three twenty no those are on base percentages two thirty three two twenty two seventy. Like this is the day, the era where you know uh, those you weren't looking at on base; you were only looking at batting average. So he would get his opportunities. He was never a guy who his max games played was 136. But uh, in this draft class, that is a massive success. I mean, in the 34th round, getting a guy who's going to appear in 800 games is always a massive success. But let's talk about what they could have done. So in that second round when they had the uh, the 11th overall pick. The only player who was uh, still on the board who they could have taken was Don Baylor, outfielder, who would go with the... The Orioles got him as well, so that's a, quite a class for them between uh, Garrick and Baylor with their top two picks. He uh, would have a really strong career for a lot of years. Uh, the other interesting one is the... Cardinals took Jerry Russ, left-handed pitcher, another high school kid. By the way, every pick in the second round was a high schooler. So if you're counting at home, that is 39 out of 40 picks in the first two rounds, high school players. Um, but Jerry Russ would have a long career as a left-handed pitcher. Also in the second round, uh, Dave Kingman, right-handed pitcher. And the top value in the second round, Vita Blue, DeSoto High School in Mansfield, Louisiana. There was an Ohio high school kid out of Bedford High School, uh, Wayne, going to be a name to say, Holasapel, right-handed pitcher out of Bedford. So Ohio is on the board now in terms of draft picks. So just to point that out, uh, at least Ballinger made the majors of players picked in this round. You have um, seven players who, no, why am I guessing? It's right here in front of me. Yes, yeah, seven players who made the majors. So the Indians, in some regard, did better than most, um, but there were some real talents. But between Ballinger, and which was pick 11, and the 20th pick, the only one to make it to the majors was Don Baylor. Jumping to the third round, kind of the end of the, the upper class of, of picks, I always view those first three rounds. It is, uh, let's see, we have three college players. So of the first 60 picks, uh, four were college players. So you're looking at 56 of 60 high school players. An odd draft. It makes me wonder what was going on with the college game at that point in time. Guys who made it to the majors. Uh, Mike Thompson out of Pocono City High School in... Not Pocono. Out of Ponca City High School in Ponca City, Oklahoma. Uh, Bart Johnson would be drafted but not signed out of Torrance High School. He would go to the Cardinals with the 10th pick. Ralph Gar is he? He is not our... He's our second highest value. A second baseman out of Grambling, who would go to the Braves. Chris Ward would not sign out of Arroyo High School in San Lorenzo, California. The highest value, Richie Zizek, out of Parsippany High School in Parsippany, Troy Hills, New Jersey. And the other player uh, to make to the majors was Don uh, Carithers, a right-handed pitcher out of Lindell High School, Linwood. No, Lindell High School in Linwood, California. So uh, no Ohio on the board there. So we do have one Ohio kid in the first two rounds. We have a few names. This round obviously doesn't, but it's not a strong draft class. It's just more of an oddity. 
Um, Steve Yeager in the fourth round stands out, and we have to talk about Steve Yeager because Ohio kid, uh, catcher to the Dodgers. He was from Meadowdale High School in Dayton. And as we keep just clicking through, guys who brought value, Dave Goltz out of Rothsway High School in Minnesota. It is interesting just trying to go through and see where Ohio pops up because of, you know, I talked about on a show last week, Ohio has become such a state that uh, we don't see kids drafted from anymore. Uh, I remember three years ago when there was an Ohio high school kid drafted until like the final or second to last round of the draft. And it's just been a, a big shift. So it, it's odd to go back and see times where you had multiple Ohio high school kids going in the, you know, first three, four, five rounds of the draft. It really starts to fall off at this point. There's not a whole lot more to talk about, but that is your 1967 draft. Uh, it's an entirely different beast then. It is always kind of fun for me just to kind of look at these to see how the draft has evolved and changed. For teams who did it well, though, this is how they built their teams. I mean, you look at the Cardinals. They hit with both of their early picks. Uh, if you look at the Orioles, they hit strongly with both of their early picks. And it's the ability to scout, see, and develop that is going to allow some of these teams to start building the, uh, I don't know if I want to say the, you know, the juggernauts or the Goliaths, but the Orioles had some really nice runs. The Cardinals had some really nice runs, and a large part of that was built through the draft. The Indians scuttled through these same times, and part of the reason for that scuttling was bad drafts, and the other part, you know, it's when your best pick is a third baseman who is can barely hit, and your first rounder is a shortstop who most pitchers uh, can out hit. That's how you don't succeed. Uh, it's interesting just jumping through and continuing to see through these classes. Um, it is odd from the perspective of, I look at these and I'm like, man, they are so long ago. But at the same time, most of these players played in my lifetime in some version. I mean, if you jump ahead to 68, we won't go too in-depth here, but it's like you look at the Yankees, and we talked about them having the first overall pick and taking Bloomberg and him getting hurt and not working out. 68, they have the fourth overall pick and take Ohio, Kent State, Thurman Munson. So it's, again, it, it's the ability to draft and get talent. How about the fact that in that same class, Rich McKinney, who would make the majors out of Ohio University, went in the first round to the White Sox. You had two Ohio high school kids going in the first round. Uh, I'm curious. I mean, problem when I click on Ohio University is it's probably, I mean, Ohio University by a round. Let me just see how many first rounders there have been. Uh, Steve Swisher, Nick Swisher's dad, was a first rounder. That's it. So. That's That also is kind of funny because both Swisher and McKinney were White Sox draft picks. Uh, as you can tell, I could just spend eons jumping into the oddity of the draft. I always enjoy looking at all of these. Let me know what you think. Um, we don't have a lot to talk about in terms of what's going on. You know, We'll continue to uh, talk about the draft because that is something that uh, we have definitive information on at this point in time. But the Major League Baseball season... I don't know if it's going to happen, so we'll have to wait and see, and uh, hopefully at some point uh, both sides will stop leaking information and sniping at each other and actually sit down and try to figure out a plan that works for everyone, like adults. Wouldn't that be nice? Thank you for listening, rating, and reviewing. Uh, it's very important to the show. It has been a rough time for the podcast in general uh, because 
everything we were building so much positive momentum i was just going through like an update where like we were the top 20 in baseball podcasts and then this started to happen so i appreciate everyone who is listening downloading reviewing rating thank you all is greatly appreciated i hope you are doing well staying healthy and finding some sanity in your everyday world i've been jeff ellis you are always fantastic and as always go tribe